0: We are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, we were dealing in chapter 17. So let's do a quick review. And basically what we have in chapter 17 is an appearance of God to Abraham to confirm the covenant that he made with him by virtue of the sign of circumcision. Abraham was 99 years old when God had appeared to him. And making Sarah approximately 89 years old herself. And there God made a promise that at that same time next year, same exact time, God would return and Sarah would conceive a child. And that's when Abraham was told clearly that it would be Sarah who would conceive the child. And Abraham's notion that Ishmael may have been the promised child was corrected. God gave him the proper understanding. The promised child was to be Isaac, to whom Abraham would have a year from that time. Okay, so with all of that being said, God gave him the sign of circumcision that was to be carried on by every male in his household, born free, or whatever. All males in his household as a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. All right. So, with all of that being said, so let's move to 18. Now, what you have to understand before we even get into chapter 18, we basically have two sections, and I think we'll probably be able to get the whole whole chapter done, chapter 18, the whole chapter done, um, without spending a lot of time. But there are basically two sections to chapter 18. That is the it is a visit of God. That's basically what we're going to have a visitation from God. And the two things that will be taking place is a confirmation of the thing that God had just promised Abraham in chapter 17. That is that same time next year, according to chapter 17, he would have a son. That son would be named Isaac that we know. Okay, so that's one thing. And then dealing with the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah and its impending judgment by God. So those are the two things that are going to be dealt with in God's visitation with Abraham. All right. So without any further ado, let's just get into the text. A lot of it is narrative, especially the first part as we deal with confirmation of that covenant once again, that is that he would have a son. It's it's narrative, basically story-like, okay? But then we we'll get into the second part It's also very narrative too, but there are wonderful things that we can learn about it. So um, we're gonna slow down in the second portion as we deal with the second part of this. And for the first part in dealing with God's visitation, always everything in the scripture we know, guys, is what, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. There are always wonderful things to be learned, okay? But for the purpose of our study some things, we're just going to simply give more. We're going to concentrate more on. All right. Without anything further, let's just go on to it. Verse one. Now, the Lord appeared to him, that is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. And so let's talk about that. So we have now another visitation and remember that we told you earlier verse number one the lord appeared to him this is a theophany okay and so no doubt they came appearing as three men what we know this is is the lord himself that's what verse number one says yahweh appeared to abraham okay so the lord being accompanied and we'll see that later on as we move through the end of this chapter And in verse 19, chapter 19 there he's accompanied by two angels Abraham is sitting in his tent door and notices it about the oaks of Mamre now we talked about that earlier if you guys have been following me in the teaching that we've been doing in the book of Genesis we talk about that that word terebinth and basically the idea is a teaching center. Now, the reason why I'm simply pausing here is this, this teaching center in Mamre. What a wonderful, and this is where Abraham's tent was. Okay. This is where his tent was, but what a wonderful place for this lesson itself, because this lesson we will find will be an object lesson. It is a wonderful teaching tool for Abraham And even for us today. So what a wonderful place that brings about that same idea again. This Oaks of Marmor, the teaching center. Now, this was a teaching center for Gentiles, for Gentiles. This will now be a teaching place for God to Abraham. Okay. But anyway, so Abraham saw these three men coming. And that's why we say in this theophany, the appearance of theophany, what? A manifestation of God. God appears as a man. All right. He saw them as three men and clearly Abraham recognized the three men. He may not have recognized all three, but it appears by the way that he acted, the hurriedness. It was simply a little bit more than the uh, customary kindness uh, that you would show a stranger. It seems that Abraham was aware somehow of the divine visitor. And, and why do I say that? Because God had visited Abraham before in chapter 17, we have what a theophany of God, God visited Abraham. So it's no big thing for Abraham to recognize God and for God to appear to Abraham in the same previous form that he appeared to him earlier. Okay. So what did he do? He bowed down with respect and greeting and asked him not to go back to stay a while, basically stay a while. Let me get some water and wash your feet and prepare you something to eat. And while I'm doing that, you can just rest yourselves right here under this tree while I get everything prepared for you. So we see this uh, and we can also understand, too, why later on the scripture will talk to God, talk about Abraham from God's perspective and called him the friend of God, the fellowship of God. But what we can also see is this. We see the communion as God. This is not so much as a ratification, but more of a celebration, a celebration of what is to take place In next year's time. And by the way, since I'm here too, notice, this is the second appearance of God to Abraham, the second, the notice in chapter 17, God appeared to Abraham and made the promise that this time next year, he would have a son at the same time. God is appearing again before the son is born. So that means that the appearance between chapter 17, that appearance that God made there and this appearance here happened very close together, very close because notice God is te- he's going to tell him, we're going to see in the text as he begins to inquire about Sarah next time, like I, next year, this time, like I told you, you will have a son. So that means that whatever took place in chapter 17 is also, uh, is, is a very short amount of time between what took place there and 18. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. So Abraham asked him to stay. Verse number six. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly prepare three measures of fine flour. Knead it, make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. He was standing by them under the tree. As they ate. Okay. So he just simply went into the tent, told Sarah to get everything ready. And what I want you to notice in verse number six, prepare three measures of fine flour. Now, actually that's quite a bit. So he he made a lot. He made a big meal for them when he got them to get three measures of fine flour to make bread with. And then he took, verse number seven, he took, notice He said a tender and choice calf. He went into his livestock and found the very best. And, and what else would you expect him to give to God? And that's something that we all need to be aware of Let us be like Abraham. I want to be like Abraham. I have to say sometimes I I get slack and I don't always give God my very best, but let us learn from Abraham and say like he went and gave God his best. We want to give God our very best too, but he got his very best uh, goat or whatever he took. And then he took the milk and he and and, and he made a wonderful meal for God. He hurriedly his wife, his servants, and he made it while Abraham was standing as a waiter while God ate. God and the two angels enjoyed the meal of fellowship with Abraham and Abraham stood waiting and serving them. Okay. Also, another wonderful thing that you can see too is this. We're going to talk about certain attributes of God that can be discerned as you look at the text. And notice one of the attributes that is beginning. We're going to see it later on when we get down to the remainder of the chapter, okay? But one thing that we can begin to see here is even though Abraham is in a hurry. Uh, to prepare the meal for God, notice there is no sense of God's rushing him. God is being patient. Now we're going to see that being brought out ever the more even in a more with a more spiritual context. okay? But the point that we can see, God just patiently waiting and Abraham wants to fix him a meal. God sits and he lets him fix him a meal. Isn't that wonderful? That's our God. but let's let's continue. Okay. So verse number nine, now let's get into the very essence of the first part of his visit as to why the reason why he showed up at this time. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent, he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. See that reiteration again, next year, just like he said in chapter 17, this time next year that lets us see what that Whatever when God made that visitation in chapter 17 and God is making this visitation again in chapter 18. They are close together at this time next year and behold Sarah your wife will have a son and Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing, a reiteration of chapter 17. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is Anything too difficult for the Lord at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. Sarah will have a son. Notice this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Let's stop so we won't do too much, but let's just go back again. It is pretty much narrative as if it's a story, but there are still wonderful things, principles and gems we want to bring out. So verse number nine what happened? They inquire of Sarah's whereabout because she is the person of interest because she is going to have become pregnant <laughs> and have a child. And what we what we can recall in chapter 17, remember, Abraham is what? Ninety nine years old. Sarah is eighty nine years old, which would be a remarkable event. But to be honest about it, guys, let's think about it. We, what is so remarkable? about impregnating an an 89, 90 year old woman. What's so remarkable about that? When you can make a universe, the Bible says by the word of God, the worlds were made. Now, if you can create a universe, what's hard about making a baby? Absolutely nothing. But of course, we have to digest these things. We have to assimilate all of these remarkable things into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives and say, sometimes we have to think to ourselves, if God can create a universe, the stuff. And I love Genesis. I love the creation narrative. I really do. When the Bible talks, we know that the stars in the sky, even the astronomers and, 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 then our scientists say there's so millions and billions of stars and they are billions of miles away from each other. And they are some of the most remarkable things in space and how, and it talks about the greatness and greatness of the galaxy, the universe. And you know what God said in the book of Genesis? And he made the stars too, <laughs> as if it was absolutely nothing. We have to keep in mind our God can do anything. Okay. So, what does God do? He basically confirms what he said again, chapter 17. Notice there's, there's a sense of reiteration. That's why we're using the term come. He's confirming, he's reconfirming. He says Sarah will have a child this time next year. We know the child will be Isaac. And the Bible said that Sarah was actually listening at the tent door. And when she heard it, she had a similar response that Abraham had. Remember what Abraham did when God told him that Sarah would have the child in chapter 17? He laughed to himself. And notice, now we see Sarah doing the same thing. It was because of that laughter event that Isaac, Yitzhak, which literally means what? Laughter. Isaac got his name. Laughter. Sarah, and as her husband Abraham, there is a sense of, of unbelief. And I think that's also something that's going on too, guys. As God came in chapter 17 and strengthened the faith of Abraham, notice I said strengthened, strengthened his faith to believe. And Abraham did do what? He responded in belief. That's what circumcision was all about. He circumcised because he believed. It seems to me also that there's a sense that God in this second return is also strengthening the faith of Sarah because the Bible teaches also in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the great chapter of faith, that Sarah also had to believe Sarah also had to believe. So therefore it appears that God is strengthening because he acts, where is Sarah, he also knows. Now, one thing that we, that's happening in this chapter, that's not being stated. And and we see a lot of anthropomorphism. What anthropomorphism? God speaking and acting as if he is a man. A man has limited knowledge. Okay, a man has so we're gonna see God seeming acting in certain ways of certain limited knowledge, and then we see God acting with his omniscience. And this is what's going on right here. We're gonna see the other part later on. I got ahead of myself on that one, but the point, God is strengthening the faith of Sarah. Okay. And his omniscience, he knows exactly what Sarah is thinking. What happened? Sarah was behind the tent door. She laughed to herself and she began to say, thinking I'm too old. So what is God doing? Strengthening Sarah's faith. All right. She laughs to herself thinking that she is too old to bear a child unto Abraham. And here is where verse number 12. Here, here's verse number 12. Where he she says, after I have become old, shall I have, shall I have pleasure? The pleasure that she's referring to is the pleasure of having a child. And then she says, my lord being old also. So let me take a break brief moment there. All right. God is strengthening her faith. Sarah responds with doubt and, and unbelief. That's what doubt is. Unbelief, but that's going to change. She will believe she will believe she responds, but notice how she refers to Abraham. She calls him her Lord. Now this is the same thing that Peter refers to in first Peter chapter three, when Peter talks about the respect and reverence that the wives should have for her husband, he is saying, this is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying to Christian wives he says that your relationship with your husband should be based upon respect that. And he based that respect upon Sarah. He says that even as the Christian wife uh, and Jewish women, if you want to be specific, is referenced directly to Jewish women. The application is to all Christian women. Okay. And so what he does is he uses Sarah as an example of respect. What does Sarah's call Abraham? Abraham is Sarah's husband, but nevertheless, she doesn't refer to her, to him as her husband. She gives him a great deal of respect by calling him her Lord. And so Peter says, even as Sarah had this respect for her husband, Abraham, so also Christian wives have the same respect for your husbands too, okay? And this is where he got that particular point from. But anyway, so moving on. And so now God responds to Sarah's doubt and disbelief. All right, verse 14. Is anything too hard? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you At this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And that concludes this section. So what happens? So God gave, he gave a slight rebuke because of her unbelief. But again, the rebuke is is not to hammer her, but to strengthen her faith. Okay. But nevertheless, God is going to always speak the truth. And so he says, is there anything, verse 14, too difficult for the Lord? Now, actually, that word in Hebrew means wonderful. Is anything too wonderful? And and isn't it a wonderful, a great word to use, too? Because what is going to happen? A hundred-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman who were never able to have children would now all of a sudden have the thing that they both most wanted in life, a child together, a wonderful thing. And so he says, is there anything too wonderful? The idea hard or difficult for God to do. So God, he kind of fusses that Sarah a little bit for unbelief. And then he confirms it to Abraham and Sarah in her listening and says, Know for sure that this time next year you will have a son. So that concludes the uh, wonderful get together meal that God and Abraham were having and the confirmation of the promise that he would have a child at that same time next year. So now that concludes that section. Now let's move to the second section. And this part deals with the other reason for God coming to visit Abraham at this particular time. And it's in this section, guys, that we'll deal with some. It's it's not a lot, but again, it's narrative too, just like the first part of it, okay? Like a story. But there are certain principles. And things that we'll begin to draw out that we'll see about. You hear me sometimes use about the nature of God. When I say the nature of God, it just simply means how he is, how God is. If you want to know how God is, just look at the scriptures and it'll tell you how God is. And it'll also tell us how, what we can expect from God, what we can expect and how we can approach God. Now, why am I getting to all of that? Let's look at what's going to go on as we work through the remainder of this section. Okay. Verse number 16. Then the men rose up from there, that's the two angels, and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him All the nations of the earth will be blessed for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Okay, so now that is the very essence of the theme of why God came. Let's break it down. So God is getting ready to leave. And so he seems as if he's getting ready to go, but he, he, he said, but, I, but before I go, I want to tell Abraham what I, what other things I came to do. Okay. What I'm about to do. That's verse 17. And then he bases that up on verse 18, the Abrahamic promise that God would make Abraham a great nation. And what all of the Gentiles would be blessed through him. So We are beginning to set now y'all stay with this part guys, an object lesson, because what are we talking about in 18? We're talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. It is destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God intends that to be an object lesson to Abraham verse 19, because oftentimes people forget that notice what it says. God says, what I've chosen him Abraham is in the elect of God. God chose him. But for what? What is this purpose in Abraham? What is the purpose in Abraham that God determines God wills to be continued throughout his generations? In other words, for Abraham, his children and his children, children for the people of Israel. What is the point that God wants you to gather? And that's what I want you to see. God wants Abraham to see something, to know something, and his children to see and to know something. And and I tell you what, I have to be, let me be premature because I think it demands it at this time. We are talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed. They will be destroyed because of their sins. It is not the sin of not treating people. uh, Cause you, you hear something. let, Let me tell you something. Okay. Let me slow it down. I tell you, let me slow it down. Let me teach you. Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed because of the sin of homosexuality. Homosexuality is forbidden. It was never accepted by God in the old Testament under the Mosaic law it definitely is not accepted by God in the new Testament. Okay. Never accepted by God. Now what you have certain Christian groups and they are not Christian groups, but who want to believe in that you can be a homosexual Christian. There's no such thing as a gay Christian is nowhere in that concept does not exist in scripture. But what they want to tell you is this, When you look at the previous section that I just dealt with concerning God's visitation with Abraham and notice how Abraham responded to those visitors, he treated them customarily with politeness. And they want to say that the reason why, one of the reasons why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it was not because of homosexuality. That's what so-called gay Christians and people who believe that you can be homosexual, practicing homosexuals and Christian. You cannot. But who want to say this is why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? Because when the angels came, they were not treated with the customarily expected politeness. That is completely and altogether wrong and false. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of their gross immorality. And it's in verse 19, right here, chapter 18, that God is saying, I, I want Abraham to see this. There was a, so that he may what? command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what righteousness. So here's my point, son. I want to get too excited. God wants Abraham to see what he's going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah as an object lesson to Abraham so that Abraham will commit for him, his own house, his own children, And his, the generations that follow after him, that you will learn to do righteousness, do righteousness. And that's the point that God wants to make. In other words, just in case you guys are not getting this clearly, whatever you see the people in Sodom and Gomorrah doing, don't do that. Because if you do that, this is what God will do for you. And just in case you think I'm wrong. All you have to do is look at Leviticus 18. You've heard me talk about that a number of times if you've watched these videos. Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus chapter 20, when God Himself enumerates the many sexual sins of the Canaanites. What did He say? They do all of these things, and because of this, I'm throwing them off this land. And if you do the same thing, I will throw you off the land too. So notice, just go right back to where we are right now. So what is God saying here to Abraham? He's saying the same thing that we see in Leviticus 18 and 20. The concept, the principles remain the same. You do the righteous of righteous deeds, acts, works of the Lord. Do not do what these Sodomites do, what the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, chapter 19. Don't do that because what what happened? We're going to talk about all of that. The angels came and they wanted to have sexual relations with the angels themselves. And they were men and it was the men from the town. These things have never been permitted by God. And never acceptable by God. I don't care if there is a gay church. It's not a church. I don't care. That is just simply what the Bible says in Revelation chapter three, when it talks about the church of Laodicea. And just in case you didn't know it, that is a completely unsaved church. What did God say about the church of Laodicea? I stand at the door and knock. Notice God said he was outside. He was not in that church, but nevertheless, My whole point, and I don't want to get into preaching, but I just wanted to uh, do away with that false teaching that you hear from certain gay groups that say that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was inhospitality. That was not their sin. Their sin was gross sexual immorality, and that's why they were destroyed. And God is doing, in verse 19, he's using this as an object lesson for Abraham so that he can teach his children, don't do that. Or this will be the same kind of judgment that would fall upon you. And you know what ended up happening, guys? Uh, was it 2 Kings uh, chapter what, 17? 2 Kings chapter 25? The nation was destroyed. And what did it say? The very same sins that God warned them about. When God said, don't do that or I'll throw you out. They turned around and did the same thing. And guess what God did? Threw them out. He destroyed, he judged the nation severely. We call that, and we ain't going to even get in all of that. <laughs> the Assyrian destruction for Northern Israel, destruction by Babylon for Judah, the South, and God threw them out and said, let the land get rid of you for 70 years. I don't want to see you back. But the whole point. Okay. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of that. Let's go back. Let's go back. And the Lord said, why in doing this righteousness, I'm still in verse number 19, so that the Lord may bring up on Abraham what he has spoken so that the Lord may be able to bless him. You can't just do anything and expect God to bless you. You cannot live anyway way and think God is going to bless you. And don't think you're going to go and run and repent at night and live like a dog in the daytime. It doesn't work that way. We have to live in a way that pleases God. We want our lives to be a fragrant odor into the nostrils of God so that God can say he was well pleased. He'll receive the sacrifice. Of our lives. That's Romans 12 and 1. But anyway, enough of that. What happened? So the Lord begins to describe to Abraham the problem. Verse number 20. I guess it took me a thousand years to get to that, huh? The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. And let me tell you something: it don't make no sense. God would not destroy. And when it's now, note Sodom and Gomorrah, guys. And I guess we'll just patch our way through this teaching. These were the two great cities, primary cities. But there were other cities in the plain. They're just the main one. But my point is, God ain't gonna destroy all of these people simply for inhosp- being inhospitable. That don't make no sense. Exceedingly great sin. If you want to talk about that, you get into exception, uh, sexually immor- sexual immorality. That's Romans chapter two as well, but we don't have time to go there. But nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. Ch- I'm sorry, guys, chapter one. It's great. I will go down now. That's the anthropomorphism we were talking about earlier. Okay, I'll come back. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to his outcry which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Okay. So remember I told you about the anthropomorphism when God speaks as if he is a man. Now earlier, remember, and I didn't, and I kind of ran through it. I apologize. I talked about God's omniscience that when when he, he was at the tent with Abraham, he knew what Sarah was thinking. That's God acting. In his omniscience, that simply means he knows all things. But here he's acting in an anthropomorphic way. Notice I've come down to see what's going on. God already knows what's going on. All he's doing is engaging Abraham. He's engaging Abraham in this particular conversation so that he can draw certain things out from Abraham. He wants to draw certain things out. And, of course, he wants Abraham this to serve as what? Verse 19, an object lesson. Abraham, I want you to learn some things about me. I want you to learn how I am, what I expect. And that's what again, when I was talking about what guys, the nature of God, learning about how God is, his ways, okay? But anyway, let's go on. So he says, I'm going to go down and see what's going on. And if it's as bad as I've heard about it, I'll deal with it. <laughs> 22. Then the men, two angels, turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? (laughs) <laughs> what God great humility. We're going to see that too. All right. But notice he boldly approached God, but, but still, with humility. Now don't get it wrong. He had no attitude. That's not what I'm saying. But remember, that's why the scriptures teach. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. So this is a wonderful object lesson for us too. You don't have, Always with respect, recognizing he is God and that we are nothing. And we're going to see Abraham say that, too, when he speaks of himself as dust. I'm nothing but dust with great humility. But you can always approach God. You don't have to be as great and wonderful and magnificent. And the Bible does say the beginning of wisdom is what to fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. But still, in all of the greatness of God, we are his children. We are the sons of God. You don't have to be afraid to ask God and you don't have to be afraid to approach God. You can just simply say to God, always with respect, guys. I know you guys are getting that part. The things that are on your mind and you know what? God is approachable. He doesn't stand the loose and I'm God, but be careful. Don't come near me, blah, blah, blah. Now he, he does have those times when God sanctifies himself in his holiness. Now he does have those times. You, you, you know what I'm trying to say? For, for example, when he went to the mountain and, 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 God, and God came down to the mountain with fire and blah, blah, blah. He was giving them an object lesson and all of that. He is a holy God. What does the writer of Hebrews say again? Our God is a consuming fire. He is, but at the same time, He is so approachable and you can talk to him and tell him the things that are on your mind, the things that you are going through, the things that you are struggling with. Sometimes they are awful things, even if notice, even if they were talking about the stuff of Sodom and Gomorrah, homosexuality, maybe somebody, it could be you. Struggling with such thoughts of that or even just sexual immorality immor- too those things where the Bible says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride. All of that stuff affects us. And sometimes we think that our sins are so stained with filth. You say, I, I don't know if I want to talk to God about that. I, I don't want to talk. You can go and speak with your heavenly father about anything as long as you remember. He is God Almighty, and you are nothing but dust. Go boldly before the throne and tell God whatever it is that's on your mind. And the Bible says that we may obtain help in the time of need. But anyway, enough of that. So what? (sighs) He bargains. And that's what he's doing. He is bargaining. And now we see the intercession of Abraham. And that's what we're going to see for basically for the remainder of this chapter as Abraham boldly intercedes on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now they're going to be destroyed, but let me show you something else too, guys. These are the people that Abraham recently rescued. Remember Abraham went and rescued, he rescued the people of Sodom and Gomorrah because Lot was actually taken away with the battle of the kings. Genesis chapter 14. Remember, these are the very people whom Abraham rescued. But they still having that witness. And I know I'm kind of going on, but allow me this time. They had the witness of Abraham. They had the witness of Abraham's God. Abraham, they knew they had that same witness in the life of Lot. They had, the, they had some light. Sodom and Gomorrah had some light. But you know what they did? They failed to respond to the light that they had. And now, because of what? Their continuing sins. Notice, the sin of Sodom is exceedingly great. This isn't just not a one-time thing. Continuing, not failing to respond to the light that they had. Lot's light, Abraham's light. Now judgment is upon them. But nevertheless, the bargaining is what is beginning to take place. And here's another principle. God does not. And and, 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 and the the prayer point, let me say it like the prayer point, the prayer point, prayer point. (laughs) Because sometimes people want to say God does not destroy the uh, righteous with the wicked. That's not true. Sometimes the righteous will die along with the wicked, even when it's not the fault of the righteous. They sometimes die along with the wicked. Okay, but the point that Abraham, he is trying to ask God, he's praying, please do not destroy the righteous along with the wicked and what's in Abraham's mind is not only so much as Sodom and Gomorrah was more so particularly in his mind is lot and his family who are what Abraham's kinsmen. Remember lot is Abraham's nephew. He's thinking about his nephew and his family. All right, so let's go on. So he's at the number of 50. He calls God the judge of all the earth, as he begins to try to persuade God not to destroy the righteous along with the wicked and verse 26. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. That speaks for itself. God says, if I find 50, I won't destroy. Notice now here's what you guys got to see. Most likely the cities of Sodom Gomorrah and the cities of the plain had thousands of people. Thousands of people and God says just so, look, notice how few righteous can spare the city. And also too, notice how the intercession of a righteous man avails much. It It is very effective. All right, but let's continue on. Let's just finish this thing out. And we're going to just keep working as Abraham works the number down. And we'll talk about that part. So we were at verse number 27. Okay. And Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Remember that humility. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. He spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of 40. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. And shall I speak? Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it. If I find 30 there, I like this God, it, This may seem monotonous, but it's beautiful. Let's keep going. And he said, and now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of 20. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, And I will not destroy it on account of 10. As soon as he finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place, that is, back to the tent. In Mamre. All right, so Abraham is now bargaining with the Lord. He starts at 50, and God says, if 50 were not found, then he moved verse number 29 to 40. The beautiful thing about that, guys, is this. Now, it seemed somewhat monotonous. He's going from what? 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10. But notice the response of God. And it, it seems, oh, why don't you just go in there and just get to the tent? You needed to read it this way. You needed to do the countdown with the 40. You needed, why? It showed you something about God. Did you notice how patient God was? Abraham, asked, he said, oh Lord, what about this? And God says, okay, okay. It, it, 45. said, oh okay. He said okay. I, and here's what I want you to see. Abraham was thinking he was beginning to wear God's patience out. Can't you tell? He said, "Oh please, don't be angry with me." Well, what about this? And oh, I know I'm. About to, oh, I've, I've ventured to speak. He, well, what about this? And what about? And notice what you see consistently with God. He, you see, no evidence of God becoming impatient with him. At all. And what am I trying to say? And God will not become impatient with you either. (laughs) Ask Him whatever you need is fine. It's, and, and he would, he doesn't get impatient with his children. The Bible, what does the Bible teach? Here's again, we remember I talking about this whole issue, guys. We learn some things about God. When we look at this particular narrative, not only is he long suffering, but God is patient in listening to the prayers and requests of his children. He doesn't get angry. You can ask him. And, and I can, I'll can. i share this with you guys. In my own prayer life, I am always, I constantly pray sometimes about the same thing again and again and again. And there was a time when I used to think, and, and, and I guess I just didn't reflect on scripture. Said, I wonder if God tired of me asking him about that. And, and really, it's about giving me strength. Giving me courage, making me the man that I need to be. And I constantly have to ask God and strengthening me against my flesh, strengthening me against the foolishness of the sins of my flesh, sins of pride, all this kind of food. And it's a constant thing. I'm always praying to God over and over and over and over again. And sometimes you say, God, are you getting tired of me asking you about that? You know what I've learned about God? He, he's, he <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. Ask him for what you need. Your father is not tired of you, but he patiently listens and he already anticipates what you need even before you ask. But anyway, finishing this lesson. And so Abraham bargained all the way to the number 10, didn't he? And the reason is he thought he hit the mark because who had already moved into Sodom? Lot. It was Lot. His wife, his two sons, his two sons, his two married daughters, their two husbands, and his two unmarried daughters. So the family of Lot was 10, and so therefore Abraham stopped at 10, believing that since Lot's family was there, numbering at 10, that Sodom and Gomorrah would be spared. But the sad thing is, Although Lot was there and his family was there, it only seems that Lot was saved. He was the only one and therefore Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed. All right, guys, thanks for joining me on that long lesson. Join me next time as we move into chapter 19 and talk about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the rescue of Lot. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe? Now.